Hello, med students. My name is Zach Olson, and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. If you've done at least one emergency medicine rotation, you've probably seen a code in the ED, CPR, ACLS, the mega code, right? These are pretty common. And this is a quick episode, but one of the questions I always had, and this isn't going to be like on your test or anything, but like when does the attending decide like, eh, I think we should stop the code, stop CPR. It's easy to start CPR. Anybody can do it, but it's hard to know when to stop. And I will say my opinion has evolved on this over the years, but I believe now, generally speaking, and assuming that we can even predict this, that it doesn't make sense to, quote, save somebody if they have 0% chance of neurologically intact outcome or survival to discharge. They're just going to die three days later in the ICU, and there are patients that can be saved that do need our attention, waiting for you in triage, waiting for that ICU bed, with that sweet, sweet two-to-one patient-to-critical-care-nurse ratio, where much good can be done if resources are allocated wisely, and much harm can be done if you push the code too long. Remember, ROSC, getting a pulse, return of spontaneous circulation, does not equal survival. It doesn't always mean like, oh, yay, good outcome. For all of you U.S. EMS out there, I know your protocols are pretty fragmented from region to region, but generally, I'm pretty sure your basic guideline is to stop CPR if there are definitive signs of death, like rigor mortis, decapitation, if the body is, you know, rotting or cut in half, obvious stuff. Otherwise, you're following your protocols and usually transporting with CPR in progress. Maybe that's not the case everywhere, but that's how it is where I've been. And to me, that's a little bit of a shame because I really think that EMS should be able to run these codes instead of having to both run them and worry about transferring them to the emergency department. That's just my opinion where you do the same thing that we're going to do, but I digress. Back to the original question. I think it's useful for us to ask the question, when does a patient undergoing CPR have 0% chance of neurologically intact outcome or survival to discharge? Does hard data for this actually exist? And the answer is yes. I personally know of three good studies that talk about when we should discontinue CPR. Three studies that asked this question. The first study I'm going to refer to was called Implementation of the Universal BLS Termination of Resuscitation Rule in a Rural EMS System, which is a mouthful, but you heard me right. BLS, which you are all certified in, has a termination guideline. Here's the guideline. Patients will not survive to hospital discharge if three criteria are met. If these three criteria are present, the patient has pretty much no shot at survival in the code, and save somebody else. These three criteria that all have to be present are a non-EMS or hospital personnel, I guess, witnessed arrest, 
without return of spontaneous circulation prior to transport in non-shockable rhythms. I'll say it again. If it's a non-EMS witness arrest with no ROSC and no shocks delivered, so that's PEA, asystole, call it. The next study was in Annals of Internal Medicine, early identification of patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with no chance of survival and consideration for organ donation. Again, three criteria, so kind of similar. Non-EMS witnessed arrest, which is most arrests that you see. Non-shockable initial rhythm, as opposed to no shocks delivered at all. And no ROSC, no return of spontaneous circulation after three doses of epinephrine, which is that core ACLS medication. Nobody survives, zero survival. Non-EMS witness arrest, non-shockable initial rhythm, no ROSC after three doses of epinephrine. And then our last study was actually a study where they looked at pediatric CPR. Duration of pre-hospital CPR in favorable neurologic outcomes for pediatric out-of-hospital cardiac arrests, a nationwide population-based cohort study in 46 minutes. That's the number, 46 minutes of CPR. These pediatric codes kind of have a tendency to go on forever, and I get it, but that's not necessarily a good thing because patients, other patients will suffer. In this study, when looking at 13,000 PEDS CPR cases after 46 minutes of pre-hospital CPR without ROSC, there was less than 1% chance of neurologic recovery. 46 minutes is about how long a PEDS code should run. That's the answer to that question. Again, I think that you should know this. During lots of these codes, I know most of you end up in a corner of the room, but someday this is going to be you calling the shots. And you're going to have to think and answer the question, when would I... If I was the attending, pronounce death. And a lot of people don't know this data, and it's just not great medicine. I will pull it together one last time into maybe like five general points on when to call it. If you have a cardiac arrest that was not witnessed by EMS, it was witnessed by some bystander, and they have no ROSC, or even more specifically, no ROSC after three doses of epinephrine, and if they have a non-shockable initial rhythm like PEA or asystole or no shocks are being delivered because the rhythm is PEA or asystole, that's when you call it. And in kids, 46 minutes, just call it. The outcome is dismal. That's, that's the number. It's just something to think about. I know it's depressing, but it's part of the job. No one ever taught me this. I had to dig up these studies. And so that's how you know when to call the code. Otherwise, just go for it, like a VTAC arrest, like pulseless VTAC or VFib. Like, you know, a lot of times you can, you can intervene on those, not so much in these other cases. So send me an email, Zach at emclerkship.com with any questions. Sources are cited in the episode description. And until next week, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.